0: Welcome to Liftoff from your friends at
1: Relay FM. brought to you this time by Squarespace. Liftoff is a fortnightly show where you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand the latest news about space and related subjects. My name is Stephen Hackett, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Mr. Jason Snell. Hi, Stephen. How you doing? I am good. How are you? Great. Great. Uh, holiday season. It's
0: always yes. uh, very busy. We are going to take our traditional break, by the way, so we will not be here in a fortnight. We'll be back on January 11th. Uh, but we've got uh, a bunch of news to cover. I'm sure we'll have a bunch of news to cover in a month because uh, space space moves fast. But we've got we got a little SLS talk, a little James Webb talk. We're going to have a whole James Webb, you know, we're going to have to talk about whatever happened with that because that may actually be an interesting story, right? Like it's it's all going on. We'll, we'll cover that in a little bit. We got to do our pre-flight checklist first. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to start with a very short item that's just sort of sad, which is, um, so remember how excited I am about uh, inflatable? Uh, space stuff Mm -hmm. and one of the pioneers in that was bigelow aerospace and they created beam which is this inflatable module expandable module that is uh at the international space station um well during the pandemic bigelow aerospace shut down uh good news is that a lot of these commercial space station proposals that are out there use inflatable modules so the concept of Uh, packing up really tight, shooting into space, and then uh, opening it up so there's room for people. It lives on, even though Bigelow Aerospace is dead. But uh, there was a question, and I asked it, I think, uh, a couple episodes ago, which is, what's up with Beam? Like, How would they handle Beam if the company that made it is is out of business and the answer is and this is official it happened this month as a part of the apparently wind down proceedings of bigelow aerospace they have transferred ownership of beam to nasa so um beam is now a a nasa joint uh they got it they can do what they want with it um and that's good because like otherwise you've got this deadbeat module on the space station that's no good (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no one wants a dead meat module. So uh, anyway, keep on trucking or uh, being inflated, uh, old pal Beam. You belong to NASA now.
1: You'll be forever expanded in our hearts, Bigelow Airspace. Yes, that's, yes. Although technically
0: that company is now being deflated, <laughs> but, that's their, uh, but their inflatable uh, module lives
1: on. Yeah. The pandemic took all the air out of the room for Bigelow is what we're Boy. saying. Yeah. That's what we're that's, saying. Yeah, that's what we said. Uh, I call this one, I wish upon a star liner.
0: So, like the CEO bowing out making wishes now, yes. yeah. <laughs> like, like first star please I see work. tonight. Please work. Please, <laughs> please work.
1: work. Oh, no, my valves. They're very sick. Okay. Oh, yeah. So, so So many memes. So, when we last left off with Starliner, the teams were still figuring out what was going on with the valves. You remember they were getting ready to do their second orbital flight test because their first one went really badly. And the service module has all these valves and some of them were stuck. And sort of the initial suspicion was, well, was that the Florida processing uh, plant for a long time and maybe some combination of moisture and the propellant, maybe there were small propellant leaks and they jammed up these valves. That investigation is still ongoing But at the time, Boeing said, hey, we have this alternative plan that if this takes too long, we can bump up a service module that had originally been built and destined for a later mission. And so Mm. that's what they've opted to do. So the service module that was originally planned for the crew flight test, the first crew on Starliner, that is now going to be used for Orbital Flight Test 2, and the service module that was going to be in the first operational mission, now that will be the crew flight test service module. So everything just kind of got bumped up the line up. a little bit. You and can't do a crew flight test if there isn't a normal flight
0: test, right? No, you and you, need, <laughs> and you and need the service module, module for that. For all yeah, of them. <laughs> yeah. So they've taken that one basically out of commission, and they're going to try to figure out what's going on. And then also, it sounds like they're going to um, they're going to take some steps because they think they know what happened with those. Uh, Valves. they're going to take those steps on the other service modules so that the same problem doesn't recur when those valves and that service module are out in Florida being uh, ready, being prepped for launch.
1: Yeah. So hopefully the issue doesn't come up again, but they're going to work this out. And, you know, there may be adjustments made maybe to these two service modules or maybe future ones to make this less likely to happen. But it sounds like uh, this is all going to be moving forward there's still not a concrete date for this flight sometime next year early next yeah. year but yeah that's I just... saw
0: a, I saw a story uh, so Eric Berger from ours um, posted that he was hearing and it was it was definitely rumblings um, but that it was probably going to be May. Yeah, he said uh, Boeing has agreed to an open window in May pending spacecraft readiness and space station availability for OFT2. So May of next year is sort of what they're talking about now.
1: Still working the problem, but going to sidestep it at the same time a little bit. Well,
0: 2022 is the year of OFT2. It's <laughs> Sorry, in the name. It ends in two. Yeah, that's right. Don't, don't wait. Okay, a couple more items. Uh, we have talked about the relationship between... Roscosmos, the Russian space agency, and NASA. Obviously, after the space shuttle wound down, the only ride to the ISS was on a Russian Soyuz capsule. That happened for quite a while. Now commercial crew has spun up, or at least the SpaceX portion of it so far has spun up. And it leads to this point where the U.S. has its own capability of getting to the ISS. So there's this real question about how... uh, the staffing on the ISS was going to proceed. Basically, the idea here is they don't want it to be, even though you might think this, three Russians go up on a Soyuz, three Americans go up on a SpaceX capsule, and then that's the crew. What they want to do is have the ability to have international sets on both of those so that you don't just have Russians on the one and Americans on the other, because both nations would ideally like to have uh, sort of a guarantee that they will not be, uh, pr- they will not be uh, iced out of who's on the ISS at any given time. Right? right. They they would rather ha- maintain a presence on the ISS regardless. So there's been a challenge because obviously the relationship between the U.S. and Russia uh, politically is not is not great. Also, you get, I mean, Dmitry Rogozin, who is the head of Roscosmos, he is a real grumpy guy. Um, at least publicly. I think maybe he does that because Putin likes it. But regardless, he's a grumpy guy and grumpy about the Americans. They're also, and this is the thing that they don't talk about, but is true, is they're super cash strapped. The Russian space program, they they are very proud of what they've done, but they've done very little other than keep using these Soyuz uh capsules to get people to the ISS. There's not a lot of new development. They've had things in development for decades that have not really gone anywhere. And one of their great sources of cash was the U.S. buying seats on Soyuzes, which has dried up, basically. So uh, this is a fraught thing, but it sounds like it's thawing. Uh, The Roscosmos announced that Anna Kikina, who is a cosmonaut, uh will be going to the International Space Station in the fall of twenty twenty two on an American commercial spacecraft. That was the official phrase used in the Roscosmos press release because Dmitry Rogozin doesn't want to say the word SpaceX. So yeah. uh, an American the American <laughs> rocket, the American spacecraft, whatever. Um, but she's she's said to go next fall. Apparently she's the only active woman cosmonaut which blew me away when I read that. Like yeah, I had no idea. Wow. Yeah, that's not great. Mm-mm. That's that's not great. But uh but this is going to be a seat barter arrangement. So no Roscosmos isn't paying NASA or SpaceX for the seat. Roscosmos is trading, and they're w- still working on the details. This is not finalized, but there is going to be this barter arrangement. And it kind of makes sense, right? So you send up two, you know, on average, there's also European and and other, uh, you know, Japan, and there are other space agencies that are also part of this. But in general, if you want to simplify it, sort of two Russian seats and an American seat on a Soyuz launch and two American seats and a Russian seat on a uh on a spacex launcher i guess they can do four right so it could even be two one one but the idea there is that they're essentially the u.s wants to have in the expedition crews for soyuz an american sitting in one of those seats and in exchange they'll have a russian sitting in one of the seats on the commercial crew capsule and that's the exchange no money just you give us a ride, we give you a ride. And they are apparently working on that, and that deal is expected to be uh, agreed to, which is why Anna Kakina will presumably come to the U.S. and start doing some training on the on the Crew Dragon in 2022. Um, but, uh, you know, this is something to watch as we talk about the winding down of the ISS, as we did last time. The other thing to watch here... Is the dynamic between the U.S. and Russia in terms of getting people to the to and from the ISS, and also the fate of the ISS, since a big portion of it is Russian and a big portion of it is American, but um, and also just the state of the uh, the relationship between the two space programs, since there's no longer money um, changing hands here. So something to
1: watch. Well, you don't want to pay a company whose name you can't bring yourself to say.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, the beauty of it is, of course, that they won't they they won't wouldn't pay. Uh, SpaceX anyway, they'd probably pay NASA. Although I, I, (laughs) if you want to really tweak uh, uh, Dmitry Rogozin, you could say, you know, you guys don't even need the Soyuz anymore. Just pay SpaceX for your own launches. That's great. (laughs) get the they dragon know, going mm-hmm. no there's an there's a, a real uh, uh pride that the russians rightfully have as pioneers in space sure uh, i i sometimes i wonder if it were it not for the legacy if they would be participating at all but that that is they're they're keeping it going but anyway the uh it sounds like that crew uh barter arrangement is in the works and we now know who the first cosmonaut will be who flies on an american spacecraft to the iss as part of commercial crew what, I, one more idea, one more thing I wanted to mention. Can't let it go. Great video, by the way, this thing. We'll put a link in the show notes to a story about it, and you should check out the video. Rocket Lab, which is well-known for their Electron rocket, which is a very light rocket. Um, that's their first rocket. And at some point, their CEO basically said, you know, I will eat my—what do you say? I'll eat my shoe. I'll eat my hat. I think it was have a hat. A, yeah, I think it was yeah, yeah, eat a Eat my hat. And he eats the hat in the launch video for this because they are doing a new rocket that is a heavier lift rocket called Neutron. And it will compete with larger rockets like Falcon 9. They actually even say they want it to be human certified. They, they have long-range plans for this. They describe this as being sort of a 2050 rocket that they're building today. Um, it is powered by a new engine design. They're designing a new rocket engine called Archimedes. Um they the video is fun. They talk about their their um, carbon composite fabrication process. Their their claim is basically like they're able to make this rocket out of uh, carbon composite because they have this really amazing process, and so you get incredibly strong, incredibly light material. And in the video, he smashes a bunch of stainless steel and stuff, and then and then hammers a a carbon composite thing, and it, nothing happens. Um, so they're very proud of their of their process, and they're throwing shade on stainless steel, which of course is used by SpaceX
1: and ULA. Well, yeah. I <laughs> I got real Cybertruck vibes from this, when uh-huh. they, like threw the baseball at the window and the window broke. I, I had a little bit of that too, but it, it
0: it didn't. I mean, this I mean it wasn't live. That's you know step one is do it uh, when it's not live. Uh, and then so the idea with uh, Neutron is interesting. They have a completely reusable first stage and then a completely disposable second stage. But the way it works is it's not like we've seen with a lot of spacecraft up to now where you sort of have a first stage and then mounted on top of the first stage is the second stage. Instead, what happens is the second stage is like hiding inside the top of the first stage. And then when it's time to release it, you they open up the fairing and it just sort of opens up. It doesn't get shot off because it's part of the re- the completely recycled uh, reusable vehicle it opens up in a uh, for people of a certain age they call it the hungry hungry hippo mm-hmm. configuration so these pedals open up and then they spring out the second stage which lights and that's entirely disposable and that will take satellites or or you know maybe humans in the future to orbit or beyond um And then the entire first stage, they close up the pedals and the entire first stage lands back at the launch site. And they also made a big deal about that, which apparently is another kind of shot at SpaceX for having their drone ships for most of their missions, um, which is part of the kind of orbital dynamics of how SpaceX built it. Right. But I guess with with Neutron and perhaps because of its size, um, they are designing it to land back at the launch site. It's got integrated uh, landing legs. And they they say that's for expense because you have to have a drone ship. And it's because of turnaround time because then you need to take it back to land afterward where their vision for this is really that it lands back at the launch site and they can basically check it out, clean it up, prep it, and launch it again without having to, you know, ferry it back like literally on a boat.
1: It's pretty cool. I think the the fairing design in particular is is just super interesting. You know, SpaceX has been uh, chasing the dream of reusing their fairings for a long time, right? They've got right. the boats with the big nets, and so far uh, that's proved pretty difficult to do, and this sort of just sidesteps all of that. Where it just it right. stays with the upper stage. Uh, a take that we haven't seen in practice yet, and I'm very curious to see how it goes in terms of reliability. You know, the reason the fairings separate on basically every other launch vehicle it is very easy to make things separate and then they just they then they just go away right and then your satellite or whatever is exposed and ready to go but this has to hinge open which is a more complicated mechanical feat and it's Mm got to be able to close again when you're done and so i just uh i mean They got a lot of really smart people over there. Neutron Lab is a very fascinating company. But this is a big change to how things are normally done, and I'm very eager to see how it goes. Yeah, this is... um, I think also this is an example of SpaceX
0: sort of um, changing the game and making not only the big... Uh, rocket providers take notice, but somebody like Rocket Lab that's coming up, they're now using SpaceX as inspiration, but also trying to one up them. And yeah. that's, you know, commercial space. That's, that's the power of having hungry challengers instead of the consolidation that like led to there being like two or three enormous military industrial aerospace conglomerates that do everything and they do it the way they did. And then SpaceX, you know, rolled in and changed the game. And now Rocket Lab is, uh, is, is kind of right behind them doing the same thing and even challenging SpaceX. And like, that's the beauty of commercial space. And the era that we're in right now is after a bunch of years where it was just kind of billionaire toys or millionaire toys uh, where they would uh, you know, say we're going to do a space thing, and then nothing would ever happen. SpaceX, while while a billionaire toy, and we could we could throw in uh, Blue Origin if you wanted to. Sure, um, they're a little bit, you know, they're they're not as far ahead as SpaceX is, but um, there's actual success happening here, and it's changing the industry. And I think that's because uh, SpaceX did what they did and it proved successful and I, so i like i like to see phase 2 where rocket lab is like okay we're going to do that too and th- i love that they are so bold that they're like we would not build this thing if we didn't think it could be human rated which is like wow okay that's really interesting too on top of everything else that they're that they're uh, that ambitious with it so who knows where they're going but um it's, uh, it's really interesting. It's uh and, and of course, it's just a render. It's just a video now. The first test engine ignition for the Archimedes engine won't be until next year. They'll, that'll be their first ignition. So this is a long ways off. But they're pretty confident about it. And
1: uh, I wouldn't bet against them. No, I wouldn't either. Um, I think the, the bit about designing it from the get-go to be human-rated, that is so interesting to me because they're, this is a ways off probably beyond the reach of like what commercial crew will look like. We just don't know what that'll be like. And so, sure, what they have in mind for that, I'm fascinated to learn more about.
0: Yeah, it's I imagine they're thinking its potential use is in commercial, you know, space station kind of things. Yeah, yep. But um but I mean, it's far enough along that they I'm sure they have some thoughts, but nothing much beyond that.
1: All right, let's uh let's take our break, Jason. How does that sound? All right. This episode of Liftoff is brought to you by Squarespace, the all in one platform to build your online presence and run your business. From websites and online stores to marketing tools and analytics, Squarespace has you covered with everything you need to make your ideas a reality. You start with a professionally designed template, and they have this awesome suite of drag and drop tools to make it your own, to customize the look and feel, the settings, the products you have on sale. Everything is just a few clicks away. And of course, everything is optimized for mobile viewing. So people out on the go looking at your website are going to have a great time too. There's nothing to patch or upgrade with Squarespace because they, they don't want you to worry about that. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help. They want you to focus on your content, your business, your project. And that means that Squarespace is the place to go. If you've got a, a new blog or podcast you want to publish, a new business... Uh, a new venture, an upcoming event, whatever it may be, Squarespace is the perfect place to build that website. Anytime I need to build a site, Squarespace is where I go. We built one for uh, another show of mine where we sold like this crazy kitchen magnet thing we came up with. Uh, we did one for our membership drive this, this December. It's so easy to get started. And my favorite thing is I can make something look really good really pretty quickly. And I don't have to worry about individual lines of CSS and all that stuff. All that's there. And there are times where I go and do you know, some sort of manual override. They give me those tools. But most people never need them. And Squarespace, uh, that's how they want it to be. So head on over to squarespace.com liftoff for a free trial. There's no credit card required to get started. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code liftoff to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain name. That's squarespace.com liftoff. When you decide to sign up, use the offer code liftoff to get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for the show. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting liftoff and all of Relay FM. Oh, Steven.
0: Yes. Welcome to the SLS segment, Space Launch System segment, explaining geopolitics, mechanical systems, engineering achievements, news, and trivia. Trivia. Engineering achievements
1: and delays.
0: This triv- <laughs> trivia shouldn't be the only one that gets a cool whisper. That's
1: all I'm saying. <laughs> Delayed rollouts. Yeah, yeah. There's that. Um, mm. The end of the year always means early next year. It does. It really does. That has held up very well. We spoke last episode about so what really was a breaking story as we were recording that uh, NASA and and Rocketdyne were having issues with one of the engine controllers on one of the four space shuttle main engines that that are strapped to the bottom of the Artemis 1 SLS. It seems like this engine controller has been been fine, and then it has suddenly stopped communicating with the upstream flight controller, which is uh, basically the brains of the SLS. And so the rocket doesn't know what the engine is trying to tell it. Obviously, that's a problem. As we spoke last time, they were working through it. Yeah, I know what your engines are doing, you know? <laughs> hey, are you lit? Are you not lit? Yeah, it's 10 It's ten p.m. Do you know what your engines are doing? <laughs> you need like a Find My RS-25 app on your phone. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, so they were looking into it, and we've got a quote now from John Honeycutt, the SLS program manager. And they are still working out if it's an issue with the power supply from the ground because this this rocket is not rolled out yet right it's still in the vehicle assembly building and so its power is being supplied from the VAB now once it rolls out it will be eventually on internal power but it's unclear exactly where in that chain this problem may be it may also be internal to the engine controller itself like you and I talk about computers most of the week uh things fail inside of computers And so it may be that they have to swap out the inch controller or swap out the RS-25 itself. We basically don't know much more than that, which is not much more than we knew two weeks ago. But NASA has come out and said, okay, uh, the rollout's going to be now slated for January. I mean, look, it's December 14th as we record this. We're effectively in the holiday break. We're right there. And if they've got to pull off the RS-25 and mount a new one, that's several weeks of work. So not going to be rolled out in January or not going to be rolled out in December. It's going to be in January, which will probably push the launch date out of February. That was one of the open windows. I think Mm. it's probably pretty safe to say that's off the table now, unless they just get this wrapped up really quickly. Uh, But they are, they're still working on it. And there was a a quote also from, uh, from NASA administrator Nelson was like, look, Safety is the number one priority. We're not launching this until we know what's going on. And so they are doing what they're supposed to do. These things just take time. But that open issue is still apparently an open issue.
0: (sighs) Yep. 2022, the year of... Artemis 1. SLS things. (laughs) Maybe. I'll
1: put that on my list of what the year of 2022 is the year of. It's a race against Starliner and Artemis 1. Mm -hmm. That's right. (laughs) Who would have expected that? Uh, the other thing I wanted to, just to touch on is the booster obsolescence and life extension program. Like, I don't want to tell people how to name things, but mm-hmm. maybe don't put obsolescence right in the name of the program. <laughs> that is that invites a certain type of comment, I think, by people like me. Anyways, what this program does is uh, it is home to building the next generation solid rocket booster. So the SLS, if you'll remember, has the core stage, it has the four space shuttle main engines, the RS-25s at the bottom, and it has a solid rocket booster on each side. Now these are taller and more powerful than the SRBs that were used with the space shuttle, but look, there's no really good way around this. The SLS is a remix of shuttle parts, right? It's it's fine, it's well-tested, well-known, And the first uh, seven to eight launches, depending on (laughs) on what you read when you read it, will use the SRBs that they plan on using on Artemis 1. So they are upgraded from the shuttle era, but they're not reimagined, right? They're still effectively the same hardware. And what the uh, BOL program, Booster Obsolescence and Life Extension, uh, though this program is doing is building a more modern take on the SRB. So it's going to use a composite case design, which we just spoke about a second ago, right? Uh, new new materials that weren't around 40 years ago when the SRBs were <laughs> in their heyday, uh, replacing new components, improving the design and performance. And so they're doing, at Marshall Space Flight Center, doing hot fire tests of small scale versions of these new technologies uh, these new materials are going to be using uh, eventually this will work its way up into a full-sized hot fire test hopefully in 2024 at Northrop Grumman's test facility in Utah so if you've ever seen footage of them testing an SRB it's strapped horizontally to the ground and it looks like it's in a desert it's because it is it's in Utah and uh, I, we've had a friend Kyle our mutual friend uh, went on a NASA social to one of these years ago and he said it was just unbelievable to see this thing light up. And so uh, eventually when we're in the Artemis sort of, uh, you know, seven, eight time frame, the SLS block two time frame, the more powerful rocket with the more powerful upper stage, these new SRBs will be, uh, will be a part of that. So that's, that's what's going on there. I feel like we've spent a lot of time talking about the core stage and the RS-25s and all the issues it's taken to get, SLS out the door the first one but it is important to remember I think that in the background there are programs working their way forward for future versions of of this launch vehicle we spoke last time about the NASA comment about they want to fly it for 30 years well this is how you do it you you do it by improving the efficiency and the power out of these core components and so uh so that's what's going on over at Marshall they're uh They're lighting a scale down SRBs. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. SSRBs. it stands for small. Small. Yeah.
0: Remember that this was, uh, yeah, this was, we're going to reuse those SRBs. Oh, we're not.
1: A lot of parts. Wow. (laughs) It's going in the ocean with SLS. (sighs) Which is a bummer. I mean, I don't want to get off on that today, but can we just acknowledge that that's a bummer?
0: I, I had a conversation with somebody who was saying that they, they, uh, that, they they portrayed the move to commercial space as another ripoff where money was being taken from the government and put into corporations as corporate welfare. And that back in, you know, back in my day, essentially the, uh, you know, we, we didn't have private space and, and it was better. And I, I, my, my response was, you should look up the SLS. Yeah. <laughs> you should, you should, because you don't understand private versus public, like, First off, all of those public programs are, um, you know, they, they've proven to be very expensive. And also they all fund giant aerospace companies who then work North on this Grumman stuff. Northrop Grumman
1: built the lunar lander. Like, but,
0: like, <laughs> but SpaceX is a commercial and it's only in it for the money. It's like, guess what? The aerospace company is also in it for the money, yep. also looking to make a profit. So... Uh, please. Yes. Like we can have a debate about the move to commercial space and pros and cons of it. But I just, every time we do the SLS segment, I think, um, anybody, the SLS segment, here's what it's taught me, Stephen. Here's what the SLS segment has taught me. Anybody who thinks... That there is this like wonderful world of the old way we did things where we had giant government contracts needs to, you know, needs to look at the SLS and just see what has gone on there, why it exists, what it's done so far. And I'm not saying that it won't necessarily have some value in the future, but it's so clear that it's like, you can't say, well, it's behind, it's expensive. Um, (laughs) It's just, come on, come on.
1: Let's talk about something else that's behind and expensive.
0: Behind and expensive, yes. The James James Webb Webb Space (laughs) Telescope, which may actually launch on uh, the 22nd, so soon. So a week and a day after we record this, so we can cover what happened next time. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's, it's in French Guiana, ready to go, basically, all folded up. And yes. uh,
1: mounted on top of an Ariane Five rocket. Yes, yeah, that's the that's the new news. So uh, they have it mounted. No further issues were found after that uh, sort of scary incident a couple of weeks ago, where it, it they jostled it too hard. Basically, uh, so these were able. Uh, this is this has all gone well. Technicians have have mounted it on top of its launch vehicle. Uh, up next is to enclose it in. It's fairing, which is a little bit different than the normal Ariane five fairing. So uh, that's got to go together. And yeah, eight days away, man. It's un. It's unreal. And the thing that really has struck me in the last couple of weeks about this is how much James Webb has leaked out into like non-space Twitter and like it was. It was only like sixty minutes, right? Like, yeah, you know, <laughs> it's wild. Yeah, the, the the um the the press. It, it makes sense, too, right?
0: Because it's only now that it's actually like really happening. And so we've been talking about it for a while. but now it's now is the time where they're laying the ground groundwork for this thing because we're we're at launch time
1: now year of twenty twenty one
0: <laughs> There's a, yeah, I mean, maybe so. Maybe so. The year of Webb is not over yet. It might be this year. Um, Quantum Magazine did a really good, deep, in depth article about it that, that features as its main character, actually, Natalie Battaglia, who we talked to on Liftoff. Um, and she's in the 60 Minutes story, too. And I, as we were watching it, I pointed at the screen to Lauren and I said, I've met her and she's been on Liftoff because I met her um, at, at Ames when I did the NASA social there. And then that was what led to us interviewing her about Kepler which she was the lead on, and now she's got time. Uh, She's left NASA and is at UC Santa Cruz now, and she's got time on web to do more exoplanet research among many things that people are planning to do with web. So it's all kind of gearing up and, you know, we're just in that, whatever it is, four months of terror now where, or at least if not sheer terror for four months, you probably, human body probably can't do that. Like just gnawing tension for four months. It's funny though, from the outside, Lauren's watching this 60 minute story with me and she says, why are they spending time talking about whether it'll work or not? And I'm like, well, she's like, it'll work. I'm like, hmm and then there's a guy on the 60 minute story who says 100 it'll work I'm like dude don't say that <laughs> no you're no you're a liar uh it's never 100 percent. but that point is they've tested everything and that's great i want it to succeed i i just think that it's still you know launching a rocket one is not without risk and then um you know something that can't be serviced like everything has to go right they've tested it all uh the guy talks about how they've got different kind of like maneuvers they can do if things get stuck Um, they've thought of everything i get it i get it but still um it's going to be a tense few months as Mm -hmm. it moves its way out to its lagrange position and uh unfolds its shield and unfolds the mirror and doing all those things that because it, you know, it's it's not an inflatable. It's an unfoldable, right? So it's got to unfold itself.
1: Eric in the Discord for Relay members had a, a good question. It's it's one for you because I was I was really little. But how does this compare to what you remember remember about Hubble's time before launch? Was there like this this hype train? there was totally hubble hype yeah absolutely hubble hype. and then, and then of course it led to womp
0: womp <laughs> it's out of focus <laughs> the out of focus hubble is broken thing which you know people we, i know we talked about this when we were talking about one of the hubble anniversaries um and we talked about it but like hubble was a joke because it failed it was a punchline for like a year Mm -hmm. And then they fixed it and it became what it is now. It completely rehabbed it to be what it is now, which is one of the greatest scientific instruments ever made that has changed our conception of the universe. But for about a year, it was like late night monologue punchline because it was a flop. It cost a lot of money and it didn't work. Um, And then they found out why. And that was really embarrassing. So, you know, it it is. uh, That's my memory of it is that there was a lot of Hubble hype. Uh, kind of like web now, but uh, it, it ended like, I just think that's the lesson, right? Is it's the hype is great, but you better deliver because if you don't deliver, you're going to get it back, right? That that hype gets reflected back on you as scorn. That's a good life lesson. Yeah. I thought the 60 minute story was good. I, I was fascinated there to watch it because it's, they're trying very hard to explain um, a lot of scientific concepts for a, a real lay audience. And as somebody who does a space podcast, I thought that that was really funny, you know, talking about like how, when we look out into the universe because of the speed of light, we look back in time. And I'm like, yes, but I get how that is not an easy concept for people who think that sort of everything they see is happening now. And so yeah. they had that situation where the scientists are t- kind of explaining to Scott Pelley, um, you know, when when it's, Five light years away. That means that's the light from five years ago, or that the sun is light from eight minutes ago, and that that means. And then, then you can take that and say, so when we look really deep, you know, we're seeing back to the to the beginning of uh, of light. In the universe but they did a really good job because they talked about that and all the cosmological things and they talked about dark matter and they talked about exoplanets and 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 they talked about like the technical part of it which is the tool making of like this thing was hard to build and mm-hmm. it has to unfold and there was a lot in there in whatever it is 10 minutes 12 minutes
1: i think they did a really good job yeah i think people can sort of wrap their head around okay this thing has to like unfold and it's a very complicated procedure but when you yeah, know when you talk about light and looking at the infrared spec like all that stuff it, we just don't run it across it every day so i thought it was good too and uh it really sort of like that's what it was sort of maybe put my head up I was like oh this is just out in the world now because we're so close to it yeah it's uh
0: so we'll see what happens on hopefully the 22nd is the launch date that they're shooting for and um if all goes well uh it'll be on its way out to its uh its place where it's gonna live way far away and uh and you know we will we will be following up on what happened with that, and we will be following up with uh, hopefully you know what the what the the plans are and what the discoveries are and all of those things in uh, in 22. But um, for now, we'll just you know cross our fingers and and send our best uh, wishes toward French Guiana and uh, and and yeah, and then in we'll be
1: back in January 11th to talk about whatever happened between now and then. In the meantime, if you want to find links to the stories we spoke about, head on over to our website at relay.fm/liftoff/165. While you're on the Relay website, check out another show uh, called Parallel. It's by our friend Shelley. Uh, she she describes this, and I love this as a tech podcast with accessibility sprinkles. So she's putting the world of accessibility into a larger context: devices, software the whole thing uh it is a a fantastic show i don't miss an episode check it out at relay.fm slash parallel you can find us online you can find jason on twitter as j snell and you can find me there as ismh until next time jason say goodbye goodbye everybody bye y'all